Turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. I want to give you a verse. I want to talk about a life built on prayer. I know without a doubt when I was on the airplane flying home, 28 hours on the flame plane coming home from Kinshasa. Interesting, when I, a week ago, I was preaching at a church in Kinshasa. So I flew from Tanzania through Nairobi to Kinshasa, Congo. And as I'm walking up on the stage, the pastor goes, oh, by the way, a million people will be watching in West Africa. I just thought I'd let you know. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> uh, the Lord really spoke to me about something in the regards to prayer. Um, in the last 10 years, the American church, uh, they've, they've done surveys and discovered that 19% of the American church has stopped praying in the last 10 years. It's pretty amazing. That we can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and not pray. How is that possible? How could I have a personal relationship with anyone in this room and never talk to you? It's an impossibility. Look at Hebrews 11.6. It says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, it's interesting that most Christians today would think it's not because of have anything really to do with faith. It's more to do with my behavior. And you can argue that faith is behavior, and I, and I get that, and you're, you would be right. But many people think if I'm going to please God, it's because I don't cheat. I don't lie. I obey the Ten Commandments. Like, like, then I'm pleasing God. And yet the Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. And you think of the Garden of Eden. Do you know that Adam and Eve introduced death into the world because they ate a piece of fruit? They ate a piece of fruit. They didn't have an affair. There was no one to have an affair with. <laughs> they didn't steal because it was all theirs. They didn't lie. They didn't do any of those other things that we would look at today and say, that's what we do in order to please. What they did do was say, I want to be able to do it in myself. I want to live within the means of what I can control. You know, so many American Christians have become very boring in their walk with God. They've become very boring individuals because they've created a life in which they can control the outcomes. I've created systems in my life that do not require me to depend on God. I give and I'm generous to the extent that I don't need to believe God will, will meet a need. I do everything I can to control the outcomes of my life so I can arrive safely at death. And the Bible says it's impossible to please God if I don't put myself in a situation 
that God really communicates. I'm not suggesting you go out and say, well, I'm going to go jump off a cliff and put my faith that God would catch me. That's not what I'm saying. God, when you hear the voice of God, when you're in relationship with God, God will always ask you to do things that will require you to have faith. And people who don't pray don't ever put themselves in a situation that they need faith because then they might need God. And they're living in the knowledge, the tree of knowledge, rather than in the tree of life. And when you don't live in the tree of life and you're not living by faith, you're going to lead a pretty boring life. You say, Pastor, you don't understand. You don't know all the places I've been able to go through and all the things I've been able to do. Boring. They're boring. Do you know God's got something planned for your life? It's incredible. It says, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. How many enjoy some rewards? You enjoy rewards. But I don't want the rewards you can give me. I want the rewards he can give me. And he says he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You know, praying people is just part of what we are as believers. We're, we should be praying people. You know, prayer was removed out of our schools. It's been removed from our government halls. Prayers are even now supposedly illegal in our boardrooms. But this isn't the problem. The problem is, is that prayer is no longer happening in our homes. Our goal should not be to bring back prayer to the White House and to our schools or to our boardrooms until we first brought back prayer to our homes and when we do that, it will change the rest. A.B. Simpson said, prayer is the link that connects us with God. Prayer is truly the greatest wireless connection we will ever have. It's been said, I pray, not wish, because I have a God and not a genie. Billy Graham said prayer is simply a two-way conversation between you and God. And yet too many people are not praying because they think of prayer as often just talking to themselves. It's a one-sided conversation. And it's because they've never learned to disengage their mouth in prayer in order to listen to what God might have to say. Do you know prayer isn't you constantly talking? Have you ever been around people who never shut up when you have a conversation with them? They just, and you're like looking for a way to slip in so you can get out of the conversation, but they never give you access to a way because they know the moment they give you an opportunity, you're getting out of it. How many say that might be me? It's also very difficult to have a conversation with someone who never talks. But this morning, I want to share something that's such a simple truth. And I don't know that I'm going to share anything with you that you've never heard before. But I do know this. The Holy Spirit wants you to hear it again. And I'm going to pray, and I've been praying, Holy Spirit, communicate in a way that I cannot communicate and connect to this thing in a person right now. Because the reality is the message of grace is incredible and extraordinary and beyond belief. But you can never walk in grace without prayer. If you say I'm under grace, then you will be praying. Satan has used the message of grace 
to destroy relationship with God and many people instead of embrace it. You know, Jesus cleansed the temple of God. And the reason he did that is because, because God's house had been turned into a den of thieves. And it was supposed to be a house of place where prayer was an active part of the life of the temple. When Jesus came to earth and he died on the cross, he put an end to the temple and he made you the temple of the Holy Spirit. He turned you into the temple of the Holy Spirit. Inside of you is the Holy Spirit. It's an incredible thing that even when I was in Africa speaking, I was like I was outside myself looking at my body, talking about something I had not prepared, thinking, wow, I actually can see the Holy Spirit using my body, and I'm actually the one. I wonder if this is how he feels when I'm the one doing all the talking. That I'm here, access to life is in you, but you never acknowledge my presence. You never acknowledge that there isn't a giant in the planet that you have to face because you carry the king of kings. And yet we don't talk to him. We don't fellowship with him. Because we're trying to carry it on our own. We're going to the tree of knowledge rather than the tree of life. He says, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am. You are. Do this. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus needs to come and cleanse the temples of the things that have been like robbers and thieves. Because we become a den of thieves. And what are they stealing? They are stealing the life that we can have when we acknowledge it living in us. Like something in me is alive. And the lies of the enemy are preventing me from being what God has created. Do you know that you were created to pray? Well. And if I'm not praying well, it's because there's a deception that has deceived me, preventing me from doing that. Did you know that there are demonic strategies formed to keep you from praying? That Satan is trying to do whatever he can to distract you from prayer because he knows the moment you get into the secret place with God, all of his weapons will fail to work. The moment you enter into the secret place with God, and we say that, and most people, when they hear secret place, have no idea what... It's a great religious word with no context. Because when they came to Christ, they never learned how to enter the secret place. No one ever taught them. So it's a spiritual description of something I've never experienced. Turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You're not going to see it on the screen because the Lord gave me it this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. There's some people that are building their life on Jesus, and there are other Christians that are building their life without Jesus. How would your life change today and the decisions you make if Christ was not a part of any of it. 
there are many people who would say it'd be the same. Or they would say it would change a lot, but in reality, it wouldn't change at all because they haven't been making decisions in Christ in a long time. Here's what it says in verse 12. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, and there's a shift there, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because on the day will bring will, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with what fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. And if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, because he, although he'll be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. He says, and then the very next thing is do not deceive yourselves. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So let me, let, let's take a look at this. So what's interesting is when you look at it, the building materials that are mentioned are two types of building material. They have the flammable and they have the fireproof. The materials that are fireproof, the materials that come from under the ground, are fireproof. The materials that come above the ground are flammable. The fireproof material is hidden and in little quantity. The flammable material is in plain sight and abundant quality quantities. The fireproof materials are valuable, whereas the flammable materials are cheap. Is what you're building in your life found under the ground in the secret hidden places? Or what you're eating from above the surface found where everyone is at and they're not rare and they're abundant? Because when the fire of life comes, it'll make us better rather than destroy us. See, here's the thing. All of the materials that are refined by fire are found where? Under the ground hidden in secret places. You have to go find them. The things that burn up are just right there. Mitch, much of our faith has been built on flammable material, and when the fire comes, we're burned up and left in ashes, offended, hurt, and we complain about God. But it's the people who dig to find the hidden thing in the secret place that when all the storms come and with everything, the fire comes, it doesn't burn them up. It causes them to get better. They don't complain about the hurt that was done to them. They don't talk about how they're, they've been hurt by Christians. They've actually become better when bad is done. Have you ever noticed how on social media you've been away from your phone you haven't been on it long. You know what happens. You know what takes place. You get a notification. All right, come back to me. You've been away a while. Come back to me. Where have you been? Let me show you something that will interest you. You know what I, you know what I love about God? Is God's not sitting there going, pointing his finger at you saying, where have you been? Why have you been so lazy? Why have you been a heathen? 
you know, I'm God and I'm here, but you never show up. You know, God isn't sitting there pointing his finger at anyone. God's got his hands open and said, will you come back? This morning is a notification. You've been gone a while. And there's a whole lot I want to talk to you about. Will you come back? You've kind of faded a little way. Will you come back? Will you come and experience what I have for you? This is a prayer challenge I have for you. Because Satan wants to distract you from using every, the very weapon that will prepare you to overcome him in the battles of your life. Here's a prayer challenge. And for some in this room, this prayer challenge is going to be the thing perfectly timed to help you in what you're going to face. Here it is. Set aside time every day till the end of the year and see if the environment around your life is not transformed. It's interesting, I was reading a book by Bill Hybels a number of years ago and a very a CEO of a very large corporation in Naperville in Illinois attended their church. And he was facing a lot of challenges he had no answer to and facing the pressure of, as the CEO, coming up with the answers to those challenges. And so he went to Bill Hybels and he asked him, what, what do I do and, and how do I do this? And Bill said, I, I can't give you any other advice than this. He goes, well, tell me. He said, go buy a rocking chair. And the man goes, What? A rocking chair? He says, yes, go buy a very comfortable rocking chair. He's like, what? He, he had that, that look of wonder, like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm facing some major issues here. And he says, I, he goes, Bill, I don't understand. And Bill says, and then put it in a very secluded room in your house. He's like, how will that help me with the issues? He says, then go spend an hour a day in that room and don't say a thing, just listen. And when you feel you need to respond, respond. Not out of what you're looking to, to say, but out of what you hear. Did you just hear that? Because how do most of us pray? like the pagans. We dictate the agenda of our prayer time. Do you know God is the creator of the universe and he wants to dictate the direction of you which you pray? But when we begin praying, we often sit down and we start pulling out our list and going through all the things and God goes, here we go again. Here we go again, rather than just sit and say, okay, God, what are we going to talk about today? And then listen. He did that. A month later, Bill Heibel said that he thought the guy just blew him off because he's a pretty strong individual. A month later, that man came and found him and said, you know what? It's the greatest advice I've ever heard in my entire life was to do nothing but go into a secluded room and listen. And he says, God has done more in the last month in my leadership than ever in, the, ever in my leadership. Why? Because when God speaks, he doesn't give you a description of what he wants to do. He gives you the re its reality. When God says, peace be still, you experience peace. 
God, God is more than giving you an answer. See, this is the problem. We often go to prayer and say, God never answers me. And that's the problem. You went to spend God to get an answer rather than go to spend time with God to experience God. The disciples grew up praying. They had been taught from a very young age to pray. People had taught them to pray. Yet when Jesus was praying and they're walking with Jesus, they look to Jesus and Jesus says, is praying. And they look at him and they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Do you know they never asked Jesus to teach them anything else other than that? I mean, Jesus taught them things, and they learned things from Jesus. But the only thing the disciples actually asked Jesus to teach them was praying. Teach us to pray. Why? They've already been praying. They'd already been fasting. They'd already been doing all of the things where all they did was they babbled. The Jews babbled. And Jesus makes this extraordinary statement. He says, don't babble like the pagans. Who did he just call pagans? Anyone who babbles when they pray, they're like the pagans. Well, who, how were they taught to pray? They were taught to pray by babbling. That the more I say, the more I'm actually going to earn. It's like the more I say, you know, you get the power bar that goes up. And somehow when it hits it, then God answers. Bing, 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 bing. He says, why do you keep babbling? I already know what you need. Telling me more of what you need is not going to change it. You say, well, pastor, what about the persistent widow? Yeah, there is a place to make a request to the Lord. There is a place to present those things to the Lord. But don't babble about it. The persistent widow didn't babble. She just came and said, I'm not leaving until you're doing something. Right? And that's where I'm not changing my mind, God, until you do something on it. Now, but, he, but there's this sense that a lot of us pray with no relationship because we didn't come to God to know God. We came him to get an answer. And God sits there and says, like Jesus, and you hear it in Jesus' voice when these people keep coming back to me. He says, they didn't come to know who I was. They came to get their stomachs filled. Like the God is right there. God is right there. And they don't even see him. Because they're so focused on just the blessing. Prayer is a steady state of awareness of a father, son, and spirit. Creating a constant, seamless union of heart and mind with the Almighty that shifts earthly perspectives, plans, purposes as heaven becomes visible on earth. Prayer is the access point to the supernatural world through the Trinity. Prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed, rather a privilege to be enjoyed. Matthew 6, 5 through 8 says... And when you pray, when do you pray? When do you pray? 
When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them. The, dis the disciples are like, okay, Lord, teach us to pray, because when you pray, it's different. The reason it was different was because they had Jesus was going to talk to his Father. The greatest part of the Lord's Prayer is, our Father. If you don't get the Our Father right, the rest of it doesn't matter. If we don't first connect to the Father personally, do you ever get a text from someone you haven't talked to in years, and the text is, hey, what car do you drive? You're like, I haven't talked to you in years, and now you want information from me? It's interesting, um, when we get saved, how many people, when you come to Christ, for many people who haven't grown up in the church, they come to Christ, they don't even know what the right question is to ask. How many know what I'm talking about? Like it's all new and everybody assumes you know what you do and because they all grew up. In, but when you get saved, you don't even know where to start. There was a guy that I led to Christ many years ago. And I said, here's a Bible. Start reading at the beginning and then come and we'll talk every week about what you read. And, and he came to my office and he had read the preface and all the documents beforehand he just thought that was part of the Bible. And, he, and I'm like, well, I, I mean, you know more about the preface than I do now. Because <laughs> I had never read that, right? You just assume they know. Uh, my my son-in-law, who's somewhere in this room, uh, when he married my daughter, Mackenzie, uh, he didn't know how to play golf. And, and I play golf, and the other two son-in-laws I have play golf. And... Uh, and he knew he needed to play golf because he didn't want to be the loser all the time we go out and play. <laughs> so he went out and found a guy who was a pro golfer in our Richfield campus and uh, said, I need you to teach me how to golf. And he wasn't, he wasn't proud about it. He said, I can either take 10, 15 years trying to figure it out on my own or I can have somebody who's experienced to teach me how to do that. He's actually, in less than two years, played better than guys who've been playing their whole life. He's done. He just picked it up really well. Why am I sharing that story? If you don't know how to pray, you should find somebody who does and ask them, will you help me learn how to pray? You know, we're doing this thing. We do all kinds of things here trying to help people learn how to pray. The Besters did a thing where they're teaching people to hear the voice of God because if you're going to pray, you need to know the voice of God, right? I told them we're going to create um, something for your kids, and we want, at a very young age, I want to start teaching our children what it is to hear God's voice and to be into praying. We're, going to, we're working on that right now, and we're going to do that in our kids' ministry. That's going to happen while you're here. Why? Because if you don't know how to pray, everything stops in your Christian life. You will never grow. Everything stops right there. And if you don't know how to pray, pride is the only thing that will keep you from asking for help. Because there are things that happen and you say, well, how do I know if I know how to pray or not? You pray. You pray. You make a point for it. Have we learned to pray? 
Jesus, you know, it's interesting, 830, Romans 8.34, it says, who then is the one who condemns you? Jesus is the Christ who died more than that, who was raised from life. He is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for you. Jesus is praying for you while Satan is trying to pray on you. Hear me, hear me. It's, it's everything. It cannot be said of the church that we know, don't know how to pray. It can't be the thing that, that we go into eternity and you say, well, am I going to go to hell? I never said you're going to hell if you don't know how to pray, but you're going to go through hell on earth if you don't know how to pray. So what are the contributing factors to prayerlessness? Number one, failure to comprehend the goodness of God. We fail to comprehend the goodness of God. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that he should call, be called children of God, and that is what we are. He is our Father. We need to comprehend the goodness of God that He loves us. The second factor is the presence of guilt and shame. When you do things that are not righteous, Satan loves to use guilt and shame to make you think that God's going to condemn you when you come to Him in prayer. Hebrews 8.12 says, And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Um, somebody should say amen to that. I think we need a praise break after that verse, just to praise the Lord. In Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore, there is no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is a lie to think that if you come to the Lord and you've done something that it wasn't right, that you feel it's a lie for you to believe that God is going to come and point out your failures. Because that's not what God come, came to do. He's instead of pointing your finger. He's just calling you back. The third one is the lack of crisis beyond my control. We, we don't, like, th there's something that happens when a crisis enters our life. Then we go right into prayer. Psalms 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very he present help in trouble. We often pray defensive prayers. We wait until crisis occurs in our life, then we pray. It's interesting, Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration with a couple of disciples, and they came down, and when they got to the bottom of the mountain, they noticed that disciples were interacting with these people, and this man ran up to Jesus and said, Jesus, my son is demon-possessed, and I tried your disciples to get them free, and your disciples weren't able to do it, and Jesus goes, oh, you unbelieving generation, how long will I put up with you? And then he delivers the boy of the demon. They leave and the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, why were you able to do something we weren't able to do? And then that's where we get our theology that Jesus was God and we're humans and we can't do. But it's not what Jesus said. Jesus says, this comes out by prayer and fasting. Can anyone pray and fast in here? What's interesting is we have nothing in the narrative that tells us Jesus prayed or fasted prior to going to the boy. You know why? Because he doesn't pray and fast for an event. He prayed and fast as a lifestyle. It wasn't crisis that caused him to fast. The reason he was fasting wasn't to get God to respond to a need. The reason he was fasting was to deal with the unbelief in his life that was preventing him from seeing anything that was there. It was part of his lifestyle. It's offensive prayers. We pray before there's a crisis. We talk to God before there's an event. 
Here's the second one, or the, the next one. We don't believe in prayer. We don't believe in it. Prayer doesn't work for me. Albert Einstein said, scientists believe that every occurrence, including the affairs of human beings, is due to the laws of nature. Therefore, scientists cannot be inclined to believe that the course of events can be influenced by prayer, that is, by a supernaturally influenced or manifested wish. We know we should pray, but there are people, because either because we went to God for an answer rather than for him. And so we don't believe that prayer works. There was a New York Times author that wrote this, prayer is useless and has a downside. This is what he said. While the main purpose of prayer may be to help others, it never demonstratively does that. Prayers benefit only those believers who say or hear them. Prayers give them comfort. It lets them think they have some control over a situation that may be out of their hands, which is silly because when most Christians are praying, it's when they feel like they have no control. It's the last resort of people who have run out of ideas and the first resort of people who never bothered to think about how they could actually fix the problem at hand. This is not harmless. There is a very real downside to praying. It lulls believers into a false sense of accomplishment. We can't solve our problems, much less the world's, through prayer. We often see people with good intentions praying for victims in the wake of a tragedy, but prayer is useless without action, and those actions make the prayer irrelevant. To paraphrase the great Robert Green Ingersoll, hands that help are far better than lips that pray. Now, after I got done reading that, you either wanted to come up and slap me or you said, I can't say it in this room because I'm at church, but truthfully, I believe that. Prayers don't work. The reason we don't pray, and these are the factors, I'm giving you the fact we don't know who he is. We have guilt and shame. Or I just don't believe in prayers. I don't, I don't believe it. Maybe I'm not in a crisis. The, the, the next one is ignorance prayer. We just don't know how to pray. We don't even know where to start. Romans says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through the wordless groans. Like, God knows, like, you need help. Somebody say amen. In your weakness, he is. So if you, when was the last time you just said, Holy Spirit, I have no idea how to pray. So will you help me? Here's the last one. We have no desire to talk with God. I just don't want to pray. It's in this one that I'm not going to be politically correct or seeker friendly. Okay? If you don't want to pray, and that's the desire of your heart, you don't want to pray. In the end, all of those other things, you can get through that. I, I mean, it's not the crisis. It's not knowing who God is. I know all of those things. I just don't want to pray. Friend, if you think you're going to spend an eternity with God that you don't want to talk to, you're not going to. There has been a place created for people who don't want to talk to God. God hears the desires of your heart and he created a place so that you could experience the desires of your heart 
and you will never be in his presence and you'll never have to talk to him again. But if you call yourself a believer and you want to spend an eternity with God, then you're going to want to talk to him. There's going to be a desire to interact with the creator of the universe. Because when we invite him to come and live in our life, our heart toward, it's like, it's like saying to this girl, she's, she's amazing, she's incredible, but I don't want to talk to her. I'm going to ask her to marry me, and then after I marry her, the rule is we don't talk. I have no desire to talk to you. I don't want to be around you. I, you know, I just don't want any action with you. How many know that that's just not how the marriage is going to work? And yet somehow we think we can put God in a box and walk away and never really talk to him. And we somehow have a relationship. See, here are the effects of a prayerless life. One, it's a fruitless life. John 15 says, remain in me and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, look at the word. It says you will, not might, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And verse 7 says, if you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be what? my disciples what is it I'm in him like we're in relationship we're one in one we we talk we interact we pray but when we have no prayer a prayerless life takes a whole lot more energy because the source of success and significance in your life is found in the vine not in your efforts here's the second one you faced increased temptation You'll face it, but watch and pray so that you will not fall in temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Prayerlessness exposes me to temptations I didn't even need to face. Do you know when, when I pray, I can walk through temptation. But the, when I don't pray, there are temptations I'm going to face that God never wanted me to face. Because prayers swallow up some temptations. It's not even a temptation. Prayerful life insulates you from temptations. There's some temptations you're going to face if you walk through them. Others you'll never face if you pray. Here's the third one, and this is a big one. You just fade away from God. You just fade away. You know what? I don't really, like church isn't as big of a deal anymore. I really want to go to a small group because I don't need to grow. I already know everything. I've read the book. I really don't need to go to a prayer meeting. That's such a waste of time. So boring. When someone's going through something in their life, I never bring up, I'll, I'll either say this, oh, that's terrible, or I'll pray for you. And then never do. Rather than the, response that every believer should walk in. Let's pray right now. Let's go to the throne right now. We become beggars of God and lose the perspective of sonship. And we start to fade. Before we know it, we get to a place where I worship more things that have nothing to do with God than God himself. I start to complain about things. The music's too loud. The music's too quiet. 
there's too much smoke, there's not enough smoke. It's too lit up, it's not lit up enough. They, the singers are horrible. Or, did you hear them sing? And we start to worship the people who are trying to lead us into worship of God. We just, we just, we're so discombobulated in that we're worship. We'll complain that I went over 15 minutes on a Sunday morning and we'll watch a three and a half hour game and jump around with our shirts off. And then go into depression when they lose. On a day, God designated for him. It's not possessions. It's not position. It's not popularity. And yet we worship all of those things. When we fall out of prayer, when we, we leave prayer behind, we start to fall into these pitfalls. Isaiah says this, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is of, of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. And then Jesus says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts, they're far from me. Without prayer, we literally become deaf and blind. And here's the problem. It's like losing your glasses. Have you ever lost your glasses? If you can't really see it all without, how many can't see it all if you're not wearing your glasses, right? Then losing your glasses become a problem because the very thing that you use to find what is missing is the thing that is missing. The very thing you use to find what is missing, prayer, is the thing that's missing. So how do you overcome a prayerless life when the thing that's missing from your life is the very thing that helps you find what's missing? First of all, you have to rest. Psalms 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted among the nations. You got to stop. You got to stop and be still. You got to recognize, God, I was created to have a relationship with you and pray. So why am I struggling with this right now? You need to stop. And recognize, beep, 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 the sirens are going off. Number two, and this is the most powerful part of all of this. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal truth about prayer to you. Because you have a best friend. Do you know that? You have a best friend. I want to come out right now and just, I, I, I just almost want to touch you right now. So imagine me put my hand on your shoulder. You have a best friend. And he's here. And he's called the Holy Spirit. And this spirit, he's going to reveal to you what it is that's in the way. Here's the third thing you have to do. Because Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Here's the last thing you need to do. is You need to respond in obedience. John 15, 14 says, You are my friends if you do what I command. Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit. If you rest, stop. And you just say, Okay, God, here I am. Holy Spirit. I need your help. Why am I struggling with prayer right now? Why isn't this just not a normal part of my life? And then when he reveals it to you, you have to obey. You got to respond. 
If you say, okay, God, wake me up at four in the morning so I can spend time with you. You know what God will do without an alarm? He will wake you up at four in the morning. Some of you are like, why would I do that to myself? You know, the entire time, I've never struggled with jet lag, except for a day or two. Really, never two, just a day. When I went to Israel, I struggled a little bit with it, just for about a day. But jet lag, I can get over pretty quickly. I have not had, until I got back, and even after I got back, it took a couple days, I have not had more than five hours of sleep a night. God was taking me away. Sure, to do ministry. But he wanted to wake me up at 4 in the morning, 3.30 in the morning some mornings. Because he wanted to have a conversation he couldn't have with me here. He, and, he, and he really dropped some things into my heart that I would never hurt here. And I could have laid there and fought it and said, why is the devil doing this to me? But I knew it wasn't the devil because the Lord in his just very soft voice, he always speaks to me and just said, hey, wake up. Hey, wake up. You know what I'm talking about? It's funny how I had so little sleep and yet there was such strength to do everything he was calling and asking. Why are you straining all by yourself when he's giving you access? Why are you wasting your energy and efforts that will change nothing when you have the Holy Spirit that can change everything? Will you bow your head? Elizabeth Elliot, an incredible missionary, told the story. And it's interesting because my sister, I found out when I was in Africa, knows, knows Elliot, Elizabeth Elliot's daughter. My sister, in fact, I'm going to try to get her here. But this story about Elizabeth Elliot, she tells her brother Tommy. He, they would play games with toys. And then when they were done, they were to put it, put it away. And Tommy was playing with his toys, and when he remembered, he needed to be doing his piano lessons. So he got up, left his toys, and went and played piano, hymns. They would practice with hymns. And his mother came in and saw the toys weren't picked up. And she scolded Tommy for not picking up the toys. And Tommy said, but mom, I'm singing praises to Jesus. And this is what her mother said, his mother said. It doesn't matter that you're singing to Jesus if you're not being obedient. Will you stand? It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter how you shout. It doesn't matter all the words you speak. If you're not being obedient, you won't experience what he has for you.